The most obvious recession signal right now has to be crude oil. And the world's biggest oil producers are in disarray over what to do about it. They know that demand is in big trouble. The global economy is heading in the wrong direction and maybe fast. And, but it's not just crude oil. It's not just gasoline. It's not just energy. Yesterday, we talked about bond markets. Well, it's not just the bond markets. We, we can also see the same problems building in forward rate markets. So we got major issues in crude. We got the politics of crude intruding because it's that big of a deal. And we got forward rate markets that are confirming and corroborating what we saw in bond markets and bond curves, as well as the energy sector. It's a huge, big, and growing mess, and hardly anyone knows what to do about it. So that's where we'll start today, the politics of crude oil. Saudi Arabia has been trying to stabilize oil prices at around $80 per barrel U.S., but it seems like they're tolerating a little bit less, figuring that if they cut supply and match supply to demand, they can keep the oil price from falling even further. Though, through the month of November, there are huge questions about how far they're going to go because it seems like they have to go a lot farther in order to keep oil prices stable because weakness has become that pronounced. OPEC was supposed to meet in a couple days, but then just today we got news from Bloomberg that there's a lot of discord going on across the OPEC cartel. In fact, the scheduled meeting for a couple days has been pushed back. Here's what Bloomberg had to say. The OPEC plus meeting scheduled for this weekend has been delayed as talks ran into trouble amid Saudi dissatisfaction with other members' oil production levels. Ministerial meetings will now take place on November 30th, OPEC said on its website, without giving a reason for the delay. Saudi Arabia, which has been making an additional 1 million barrel per day output cut since July, was in difficult talks with other members about their production levels, delegates said, because they are, the discussions are private and Saudi Arabia is not wanting to go it alone here. What they're saying is we can see demand is complete is getting much weaker and we've been shouldering much of the load recently trying to keep oil prices from falling further. We'd really like it if some of you other OPEC cartel members would pitch in to keep prices going. Because you go back to last year, OPEC Plus, they've cut about five, five and a quarter million barrels per day from production including 3.7 million barrels per day from the OPEC group. That was the quotas that they reduced back last year. And then the additional million and a half barrels per day, those voluntary cuts from Saudi Arabia, as well as to an extent, Russia. So the Saudi Arabians have done a lot to try to keep oil prices higher. In fact, they probably went too far with it when oil prices surged in the summertime during the period when the economy wasn't very strong. And that's the big issue here. That OPEC and Saudi Arabia and everybody else bought into the soft, the soft landing narrative. Going back to that Bloomberg article, they say, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries and its allies face an increasingly fragile picture for oil prices. Crude oil is down about 18% from its September peak, defying expectations that production cuts would cause a rapid tightening in markets. What they thought was, well, we can, the global economy can handle higher oil prices if we cut back on supply. Demand should stabilize and demand should actually recover, especially with China. Everybody's betting on China. Therefore, the second half of this year, if we maintain the production cuts the way that we were throughout the summer, that will mean a supply deficit, a growing supply deficit to end 2023 and to begin 2024. There's your oil price jump. 
However, demand has not kept up its end of the bargain. So Saudi Arabia and Russia betting on the soft landing in the global economy, it's now coming back to bite them as they see oil prices continuing to go down. And worse than that, the WTI curve, the futures curve, is reshaping into contango, which tells you that near-term prospects for oil are not as a supply deficit. The WTI curve just recently, as of today, well, today it's at 74.74. It's down about $3 before I started recording here. It had been as low as 73.79, which would have been down $4. That was on the news of this OPEC meeting being pushed back. Oil prices had rebounded Friday from Thursday's big drop, and to an extent yesterday, on the expectation that OPEC would get its crap together and be able to announce another production cut. And that would help rebalance the market more in favor of supply away from the demand concerns that continue to roil the entire marketplace. The one-month calendar spread in WTI right now is 17 cents into Contango. That's even after OPEC. Uh, the announcement on Friday, the one-month calendar spread had gotten pretty deep into Contango. It was about 20 cents there. So it, it, it's pretty much around the same level here. It's fluctuating a little bit, but hasn't gone out of Contango. The three-month spread which had been pretty steeply backwardated, certainly very steeply backwardated back to September. But even recently, up until last week, it was pretty pretty solidly into backwardation until the big drop in, in oil prices and the big reshaping of the curve. That dropped into backwardation, or dropped into contango, excuse me. It came out of contango back into backwardation on Friday and yesterday. Now we're back into contango all over again. So the oil market is thinking... Even if, even if there is a chance that the Saudi Arabians convince the rest of the OPEC cartel to go ahead with additional production cuts, that it may not in the short run matter all that much. Demand is getting very, very weak. And of course, oil is one of the major inputs for gasoline. And what have we seen in gasoline? Gasoline has been, oddly enough, leading oil prices because this is about demand. At last check, RBOB, or the wholesale gasoline price, was back down to $2.12 per gallon. Again, that's wholesale price. It had rebounded to about $2.20 last week with the oil rebound. But So we're right back down with gasoline to some of the lowest prices in almost a year. Demand. The U.S. government reported on the weekly oil statistics for the U.S. economy. That's inventories, that's the amount of oil and gasoline that are supplied to the economy, a proxy for demand, and some other interesting statistics alongside those. In terms of inventories, you can see why crude oil prices are getting a little bit softer here. And that's an understatement, of course. During the past two weeks, including the latest data for this week, there's been massive weekly builds in crude stocks in the domestic U.S. system. Now, there's a, there's a seasonal uh, factors, too, to consider that, you know, usually this time of year, oil stocks go up. We're using less oil because it's, you know, autumn heading into winter. But even so, the bills in crude oil inventories in the domestic economy were much larger than we would expect, even factoring the, the seasonal pattern. And according to the Energy Information Administration statistics on the amount of crude supplied, which, again, is a proxy for demand, you see that October and November, total usage has softened substantially, which backs up what we're seeing in oil inventories and therefore oil prices. 
Oil prices are increasingly a demand story. And here we have the U.S. domestic situation that backs up U.S. oil prices and gasoline prices to an extent, too, because you see uh, gasoline supply from the government statistics. Uh, gasoline supply went way down in September, which then provoked the decline in wholesale gasoline prices. It recovered somewhat and stabilized in October, but now it looks like gasoline demand is dropping off again in November. So you take out the short run fluctuations and demand in gasoline as well as crude oil is ratcheting lower and lower and lower and doing so in a more noticeable fashion, which of course is being priced all across the WTI curve and now leading OPEC into substantial disarray about what to do about it. Do we cut some more supply? They've already cut a substantial amount. You can't keep cutting back as demand keeps falling off. But as I said, this is not just about energy prices. This is about bond markets and macroeconomic statistics. And it's really a comprehensive picture of the global economy coming out of the disinflationary rebound that it was in earlier in the year. It was never a soft landing. It was just a temporary period where the global economy benefited, as consumers in particular, from the initial disinflation, the initial softening of price pressures throughout the global system that allowed a little bit of breathing space. And at a pretty fortunate time because it was right around the banking crisis and credit crunch that started to develop in March, April, and May. So the summertime in the U.S. in particular, we got that, that, that rebound that made it look like the, the economy was maybe doing better than a soft light. Maybe it was accelerating. This is what got the Federal Reserve and a lot of central banks all excited and worried about inflation prospects in the summertime. But it was only going to be temporary because incomes, labor, all of that stuff had never really changed. The underlying condition was heading in the same direction. But now the disinflation rebound is over. Disinflation isn't over. The disinflation rebound is over. Now the oil prices are moving past the supply restrictions and back into demand because they're forced to confront lower levels of demand. We can see the deflationary recession still coming our way. As I said, that was the big, big message in bond markets yesterday and the video I did yesterday. Today, we'll talk about forward rates and how forward rates back up the fundamental signal from the reinversion across all of these yield curves. We'll start with something called a near-term forward spread. I've mentioned that before. The near-term forward spread measures the current three-month rate and projects what the future three-month rate will be 18 months from now. So a market-based, largely market-based projection of what rates are going to be a year and a half down the road. And the near-term forward spread inverted last November. It got more and more inverted as the economy worsened into the first part of what was the global recession before the disinflation rebound. And then it took a real big tumble, of course, with the banking crisis in March and April, as you would expect. Lots of hedging, lots of nervousness, big time drop in growth and inflation expectations. But then the disinflation rebound grabbed hold of the marketplace, less urgency and hedging. Suddenly curves started to back off a bit, inversions started to reduce, curves flattened out. The near-term forward spread became less negative through the summertime into the, uh, again, the, the fall. But Ever since the middle of October, as the reinversions picked up, as the September effect wore off on the bond market, here we are, the near-term forward spread, falling right back down to around minus 90 and 100 basis points. So inverted by around 90 to 100 basis points again, which you can see is pretty consistent with the recession portion of the last year in the global economy, in the global marketplace. Another one 
we'll use the two-year forward rate. This is that hence thing that economists came up with. This is a this is a, a way of of measuring what the market might be thinking as far as what interest rates are going to be two years down the road using yield curve shapes, some some economics forecasting and various other tools and trying to blend them together into a, a, a quantitative picture of where rates are going to be in the future. And you see the two-year forward rate that was heavily, heavily inverted along with the near-term forward spread pretty much everything else in March, April, and May with the banking crisis. And then as the disinflation rebound took hold in the economy, therefore priced into the bond curves, you got the spread narrowing, uh, especially August, September into October. That's that's the this, this forward rate catching the September effect in the long-term curve and therefore interpreting it as a two-year forward, a reduction in the spread between the, the two-year and the two-year forward. But then same thing again as everything else. Since October, the two-year forward spread has dropped precipitously as fundamentals are back in the marketplace. And as you can see, the two-year forward spread behaved in a similar fashion last year, last September, August, September, and October. The spread had widened in uh, the, the, during the September effect back then too. So once we get past the September effect in these forward rates too, we see increasing fundamentals, which in this case is lower forward rates, which is what inversions are all about anyway. I'll bring up one more here, the one-year forward spread, and we'll compare that with the 12-month Treasury bill. Again, you see the same thing. Big downturn in the wake of the banking crisis, lots of hedging, lots of nervousness. It narrowed with a disinflation rebound in June and July, but unlike some of the other spreads, it didn't continue to go further in the September effect because, like the two-year Treasury, the front end of the yield curve was less impacted by September this year. So you see that the 12 month bill to the one year forward rate has been more or less constant since around June and July with only a slight decrease in inversion with a disinflationary rebound in the economy until around November and now it's back down again. Another one, SOFR futures. And I hesitate to bring up this one because quite frankly, I don't really like SOFR futures. They're nothing like Euro dollar futures. And I can do a whole video about why that is, but I'll mention SOFR futures here anyway. These are term SOFR futures that were meant to replace Eurodollar futures. So three-month term SOFR, term SOFR futures that reference the three-month term SOFR rate, whereas Eurodollar futures reference three-month LIBOR. And you see the December 23 to December 24, the, the contract spread there, the calendar spread there. That had narrowed substantially during the summertime as everything else. But right now, right now, it's back down to around 100 basis points inverted, so very sharply inverted. The market is still pricing a substantial number, an expectation for a substantial number of rate cuts in the future. We just don't know when they start. Uh, the December 23 to June 25 spread going a little bit further out in the future. That one had been around minus 190 basis points during the fireworks of the banking crisis earlier this year. It narrowed to around 120 basis points. And again, like everything else that we see, that's back to 150 basis points inverted. So almost back to where it was during the banking crisis. I'll, one final note, I'll bring in Euriber futures here. That's European or Euro, Euro denominated futures, money market futures. So just to show that this isn't just a strictly a U.S. or U.S. dollar phenomenon. This is a global global marketplace, just as the oil market is picking up on weakness in the entire global system. We see the same thing in interest rate curves. I mentioned the Japanese government bond curve yesterday. That's a good one that suggests something going on there, big time. 
and of Euriber futures, that the market is expecting lower interest rates in Europe as well. We look at the December 23 to December 24 contract spread in Euriber futures. Um, right now it's back to where it was and even a little bit further than the worst part in the May banking crisis. So increased nervousness in Euriber futures, increased nervousness in SOFR futures, forward U.S. interest rates projecting the same thing as bigger inversions on bond curves that we see in yield curves and, and whatnot. It's all lining up again in the direction of the deflationary recession. Oil prices are just the most obvious signal of distress. We've got bond curves going more and more inverted and not just one or another, it's all the curves and in not just one part or another, it's in every part of the curve. I mentioned yesterday, you got the US treasuries and JGBs, it's the front end, it's the back end. And today we've we examined forward rates. Forward rates are, are backing up the signal that we're getting from the yield curve and all these cash bond rates. The deflationary recession didn't go away. For a time, oil and some of the economic statistics gave us a reason to buy the soft landing. But now that demand has weakened so substantially, it's causing disarray in the OPEC cartel, we can see the mirage for what it was. I'll put a link below me for yesterday's video on the markets and the market curves and what's going on, Japan, treasuries, and all that. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University members and Eurodollar University subscribers. And until next time, take care.